Father, thank you for loving us, and thank you, Father, for the love that we are about to receive from you through the teaching of your word. I know that is your heart to minister to all of your children this morning, to create practical, real change in our hearts and in our lives. So we give this time to you, pray that you would bless it and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, Pastor James uh, talked about the role of the pastor and the role of the leader in the life of the church. And he talked about how the leaders of the church, it's our responsibility and our privilege to watch over your souls and to shepherd you um, in the practical, everyday situations of life that you face. And it's really with that heart and with that spirit that I want to talk to you this morning about some areas of the Christian life that maybe don't get exposure all too often. Uh, This morning, it's really not my heart to preach at you. It's more my desire to talk with you and to reason together uh, from the scriptures and from the gospels. And so if you want to pretend that we're um, at dinner and we're chatting informally after dinner and we're just talking about life in light of the gospel, you can do that. That's really my heart this morning, is I really desire that this time would shepherd your souls. And uh, this message isn't a message that will be applied in um, on a Sunday service. It's really a message that we want to talk to you about that will be applied from Monday to Friday in the everyday lives, that everyday situations of life. We've been uh, exploring as a church how the gospel has the power not only to save us, but to sanctify us. How the Christian life is not that we start with gospel and then we continue in our self-reliance and in our hard work and in our discipline. But it's really, we begin by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and then we continue by believing more and trusting more and looking more at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel then comes into our hearts and transforms our hearts and our lives and bears fruit. And that's how spiritual maturity and spiritual growth occurs. And so we've been talking through how the gospel uh, transforms counseling, how the gospel transforms worship, how the gospel transforms fellowship and evangelism and all these different areas of life. And this morning I want to talk about one area of life that the gospel has the power to transform, and that is in the area of addictions. Addictions. And what I mean by addictions, it's those areas of life that we feel that we are in bondage to. It's those habits, it's those sins, it's those practices, it's those behaviors, it's those issues of life where we feel like we just can't change in, that maybe we've been dealing with this issue for years, and it just doesn't seem to get better. Uh, Maybe it's some kind of character flaw, or maybe it's some kind of relational issue that you just have had for a long time, and you just can't seem to get victory over it. it. You've made resolutions, and you've failed them all. Every New Year's, you make a resolution to do better in this area, and it just doesn't seem to happen. I'm talking about addictions is those areas of life that 
you feel enslaved to. You feel a sense of hopelessness. You feel like it, it hasn't changed, it isn't changing, and it just never will change. I know that when I use the word addiction or addict, I know that's a strong word. I know that it's not a pretty word. And I think that um, most of us, when we think of addicts or addictions, we might think of things like being addic- addicted to drugs or being addicted to sex or being addicted to alcohol or gambling, kind of the, the major addictions in our culture today. We might think of um, people who are addicted to nicotine or uh, food addiction or addiction to pornography. Um, even pe- some people are addicted to video games. That's a, one of the big addictions that's spreading across the globe today. But what I want to convince you of this morning is that you can be j- addicted to just about anything. I mean, sure, there are those addictions that have more of a social stigma in our world today and addictions that have more of a stigma in the church today, but you can be addicted to almost anything. You can be addicted to not only bad things, but you can be addicted to good things as well. This week I came across an article of a man named Andrew who was 36 years old. Um, He has lived as, as a homeless man because of a type of addiction that is becoming more common in the world today. Andrew's not addicted to cocaine. He's not addicted to LSD. He's addicted to the Internet. In Newsweek magazine, his brother Winston writes, Internet addiction sounds like a punchline, but it ruined my brother's life. And he tells a story of how his brother has become so addicted to the Internet that he dropped out of high school and has become homeless. Winston writes, when the rest of Andrew's homeless buddies head off to the park to suck down liquor or puff weed, Andrew eyes a different fix at the Oregon State University Computer Lab, which is open to the public. He'll spend the next 10 hours or so there, eyes focused on a computer screen, pausing only to heat up a microwave meal. He plays role-playing video games such as World of Warcraft, but he's also got a page of RSS feeds, That makes my head spin. Filled with blogs he's interested in, news websites, and other tentacles into cyberspace. He goes home only when the lab does. He recently acquired a laptop after much fundraising from sympathetic relatives, so he can now stay connected day and night if he can find an open Wi-Fi hotspot. He continues that, though my brother has never been officially diagnosed as an Internet addict, he readily admits that he demonstrates all the signs and symptoms of the compulsion. His was a world of constant refreshing, immediate access to new information and stimuli. Before long, the real world couldn't hold his attention span. He dropped out of high school and spiraled down a path that eventually led him to homelessness. This addiction is actually estimated that there's more internet addicts in China than there are sex addicts in the United States, psychologists say. And studies have been done which break down this addiction into subcategories such as there's social media addiction, there's online shopping addiction, there's online gaming addiction, there's um, different kinds of 
even within this broad category. And what I want to really convince you of this morning is that you can be addicted to not just bad things like cocaine or alcohol or gambling, but you can be addicted to good things. Things like the internet, which is a good and helpful and useful tool in our world today. The issue behind addiction isn't the object. The issue is what's going on in our hearts. And what's going on in our hearts is that we, in our sinfulness, desire to give ourselves away to things which are not God, and therefore we become enslaved to them. One author put it this way, to be alive is to be addicted, and to be addicted is to stand in need of grace. And he was simply referring to the fact that people can be addicted to virtually anything. You can be addicted to virtually anything. Uh, There are addictions in the church today that have a social stigma, and there are are addictions in the church today that don't seem to bother anyone. Um, I was thinking of this week, if I were to share with you that I have an alcohol addiction, I've been secretly addicted to alcohol for the last three years, you'd probably be shocked and scandalized and what on earth and worried and you'd pray for me. But if I told you, you know, I'm just totally addicted to the caramel frappuccinos at Starbucks. I mean, I can't live a day without one. Uh, you might say, wow, I'm addicted too. Let's, let's go fellowship over our addiction. If I were to post on Facebook, I have a gambling addiction, most of you would get very upset. You'd be very worried. You'd be scandalized. But if I were to post on Facebook, I'm addicted to Jack Bauer and 24 on Monday nights. Totally addicted. I'd probably get a lot of people who like that status update. I'm addicted too. I might even start a fan club, 24 Addicts fan club. Is there anything wrong with caramel frappuccinos? Is there anything wrong with watching 24? Is there anything wrong with a TV show? The point is we can be addicted not only to bad things, we can be addicted to good things. And just because an issue does not have a sense of scandal in the church doesn't make the addiction less real. Our hearts feel enslaved. I was thinking in recent times how they made a movie called Confessions of a Shopaholic. Some of you may have watched that movie. And it was a comedy, not a drama. A woman who's addicted to shopping. And we all know that if that movie was Confessions of an Alcoholic, it wouldn't be a comedy or confessions of a gambling addict, it wouldn't be a comedy. But certain addictions are more acceptable in our world today. They're more tolerated. Biblical counselor um, Ed Welch gives the following list in his book, Addictions, which is um, representative of the types of things that our people are addicted to. And you'll notice that there are sinful things on this list and there are non-sinful things on this list as well. He lists alcohol can be addiction, which is obvious. Um, anger can be an addiction. You can, you can be feel enslaved to this. You just can't stop getting angry. 
Love can be addiction. People seeking relationships in all the wrong places and just can't seem to stop, just can't seem to um, get over these relationships because they're seeking, they're addicted to this relational love. He lists weightlifting as a possible addiction. Sleep, nicotine, pain, um, TV. Uh, we might, some of us might look at, well, a lot of people, they're just addicted to soap operas and how sad. They just can't get off the tube. They just have to keep watching. But we have our own shows that we, if they were taken away from us, we would go through withdrawal. Exercise, which is a good thing, which we encourage, which we feel is a good, but it can become an addiction because it can become a means of controlling your life or controlling your weight or controlling your looks, and you just can't let go of a certain routine. Gambling can be an addiction. Nose drops. Um, fellow sinus sufferers, if, if you suffer with sinuses like I do, you know that you've heard of um, afferent addiction. Where it's a serious problem where people get hooked on Afrin and they can't get off. Cocaine, sports, sugar can be an addiction. Um, some of you know that last year or so I've had blood sugar issues and I had to go on a low sugar diet and I went seriously went through withdrawal. My body was like, where's my sugar? It, it wanted, it craved the sugar that I used to give to it on a daily basis. People, you can be addicted to people's approval, people's disapproval. When people um, disapprove of you, your world falls apart, you can't handle it. Sex, caffeine, shoplifting, lying, chocolate. So, sorry, this is his list, not mine. I didn't make this up. Chocolate can be an addiction. Risk, the adrenaline rush that you get when you take a risk and, and you get addicted to that rush and you can't get off it. Success, winning, and pornography. And to that list, I would add uh, video games, shopping, uh, fear of man. Uh, or you can be addicted to order or control. Uh, you all heard of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, where you're just addicted to controlling your life and to having everything in its perfect place. Perfectionism, which is a form of, of control, of being addicted to controlling a certain outcome in life. Approval, feelings of accomplishment, and to that I would even add, you can be addicted to productivity, work, and even ministry. I say, what on earth? I mean, isn't work a good thing? It is a good thing. But you can so put work and productivity and accomplishing things at the center of your life that you can't let go. And I, I put this at the last of the list because this is one of the things I realized that I'd been dealing with in my own life. Is that I didn't know how to rest. I had to always be doing something. I had to always be accomplishing something because that was tied to my identity. It was tied to, I didn't feel like God loved me unless I was being productive. I didn't realize how, uh, what a problem this last addiction 
could be until I listened to the song this week by songwriter Michael Card. It was a song entitled Underneath the Door, and it was a song about where Michael Card writes about his father, who was a hardworking doctor. He says his, his dad was a good man. He was a phenomenal man. He helped people all day. But what happened is that he would come home late from a hard day's work, and he'd be so burdened by all the patients that he'd seen that he'd go into a study every night and lock the door just to decompress. And the song's about how, as a son, Michael Card could only get his dad's attention by slipping notes underneath the door. And he said that his dad had so put work at the center of his life that when he was forced to retire, he died. He couldn't deal with life apart from his work. You can be addicted to even a good thing, such as work, productivity, getting, getting things accomplished. And at the root of our addictions is the basic idea that we have taken something other than God and we have made that person or that object or that practice the center of our lives. And that's why you can be addicted to virtually anything, because you can put virtually anything in the center of your life except for God. Ed Welch writes, Addiction is a bondage to the rule of substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, leading to further estrangement from God. And what he talks about in this book, which I highly encourage you, is how addiction is really the end stages of a relationship with an idol. How when you start a relationship with an idol, there's, there's really three stages that he outlines. First is enticement, where the idol promises to give you something that you want. Whether that's security or meaning or satisfaction or pleasure or joy or... Fulfillment, whatever it is, the idol promises it to you and says, I'll give you that if you begin this relationship. The second stage in the relationship is entrapment. The idol begins to capture your heart's affections in a way that's enslaving and begins to hold your heart in bondage so that you can't let go. And then the third stage which is the last stage, is abuse. Having captured your heart's affections, holding your heart in bondage, the idol then turns on you and begins to abuse you. And even though the idol begins to give you fewer and fewer returns for your relationship, you can't let go because you are enslaved. And Ed Welsh says this last stage in this relationship, that is addiction is you've put this idol, whatever it is, in the center of your life. You've begun this relationship. You've been enticed. You've been entrapped. And now you're enslaved. And now you're being abused. The result, you feel helpless. You feel like you can't let go. And we've seen this many times in the church. Um, A single brother or sister gets involved in an unedifying relationship. And everyone knows it's unedifying. Everyone says that this relationship is destructive. It's not helpful. Uh, your pastors say it's not helpful. Your care group leader says it's not helpful. Your, your brothers and sisters in Christ say it's not helpful. Everyone's telling you this is a destructive relationship, but because you have 
put this relationship in the center of your life, it entraps you and you can't let go, even though you yourself know yourself that this is destructive. Because you're an addict. You've been enslaved to this person who is not God. And you are seeking to receive from this person a love that only God can give to you. And I really don't want to just pick on the single people. I believe that many parents in the church today are basically addicted to their children. They're addicted to their children's growth and progress and accomplishments. They wrap their whole lives, their whole identity around the progress and growth of their children. And seeing their child score a goal or win a medal or win a reward gives them just as much a high as a drug addict shooting on a corner somewhere. It gives them the same rush, the same feeling of well-being, the same feeling of satisfaction as any other addict. And they'll do anything to pursue that high. They'll ruin their schedules, they'll ruin their budget, they'll ruin their spirituality just to get that high of seeing their children accomplish something. Good things can be addictive if they become the center of our lives because when we begin this relationship with an idol and continue it, eventually it becomes an addiction. One of the common addictions that women deal with today is the addiction to a certain type of body image. And once again, is it good to take care of your body? Absolutely. Is it good to exercise, eat right? Absolutely. But one of the common struggles that women face is they believe in their hearts that if I achieve a certain type of body image with a certain type of figure, then I will be loved and accepted. Now that's not on their doctrinal statement. Their doctrinal statement that they, they would sign would say, I'm accepted and loved completely on the basis of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. That is the basis for my love and acceptance. That's what they would sign on a piece of paper. But you see, their intellectual belief hasn't translated into a functional belief. In their hearts, what they really believe from Monday to Friday is that I will only be loved and accepted and cherished if I look like this. And it becomes an addiction. It becomes an idol which enslaves them and abuses them. And it leads to eating disorders. It leads to addiction to exercise, addiction to a certain type of diet. And at the heart level, what is happening in the sister's heart who struggles with this is she is really worshiping. She is um, worshiping another god, the god of beauty, the god of a certain appearance. And this idol at first promises her love, acceptance, satisfaction, and joy, but at some point the idol turns and begins to become abusive. 
A very common addiction for the brothers is addiction to lust and even to pornography. Uh, One sister insightfully told me that brothers struggle with attraction and sisters struggle with wanting to be attractive and they're really two sides of the same coin. It's very interesting how Paul frames the whole uh, sin of lust. He doesn't describe it as a behavioral disorder. He describes it as a worship disorder. Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And then he says, which is idolatry. What Paul would say is that, brothers, if you're indulging in mental images that are impure, if you're engaging in pornography, if that is any part of your life, that you're worshiping. You're saying to this idol, you will thrill my heart. You will give me satisfaction and joy. You will bring me contentment and peace and happiness. And you're, you've entered into a relationship with an idol And if left unchecked, that idol will turn on you, and it will abuse you. We can go on and on and list other types of addictions, and um, I encourage you to pursue that in your care groups and to explore this topic together. What are the things that are addictions in our lives and in our church But what I want, what I'm interested in is this morning is to give you something practical, something that you can take home, something that you can apply in light of the gospel. How do we experience freedom from the addictions that we encounter? And um, let me just make this note before I give you the steps here. Um, some addictions have a greater physical component than other addictions. All addictions are the same root cause. They are a relationship with an idol. It's a worship disorder in which you're giving your life to something other than God. But some addictions have more of a physical component and physical symptoms. And in those type of addictions, what we would say is that we are interested in the physical healing as well as the spiritual healing. It's just like if someone were to come in our church and they're bleeding, what would we do? We would give them a bandage before we give them scripture, right? And so if someone's struggling with the physical symptoms of withdrawal from a certain addiction, we wouldn't discount that. We believe that man's body is connected to his soul in this life. And so we are interested in both treating the physical aspect as well as the spiritual aspect, but ultimately the addiction will not be cured until the worship disorder in the heart is changed in light of the gospel. How do we minister the gospel to our hearts so that our hearts can be freed from these addictions, whether it's work or fear of man or food or being addicted to order, or to lust, or to body image? How do we minister the gospel to our hearts so that our hearts experience freedom from these addictions? What needs to happen, big picture here, 
is that our doctrinal understanding of the gospel needs to be pounded into our lives to the point where it becomes a functional trust in the gospel. In other words, what we know in our heads needs to be pounded into our lives until it becomes part of our hearts. Ed Welch puts it this way, the problem is we don't really believe what we believe. The problem is that we don't really believe the gospel. And the answer to addiction is not try harder, make better resolutions, get your act together, just get this out of your life, get accountable. That's not the answer. The answer is what we've been looking at as a church all along, is that we are saved by the gospel of God's grace, and we are sanctified by the gospel of God's grace. And if you're struggling with an addiction, what we need is grace. What we need is more gospel. This is why if a brother's struggling with pornography, what, what I would say is, is, brother, the issue behind your pornography is that in your heart you don't really believe God loves you. Because if you really believe that God loved you, and you really believe that only God's love can satisfy your heart in a way that no other earthly pleasure can ever satisfy. If you really believe that, you wouldn't be looking to this idol to give you a joy that it can never give. That's why I would say to a sister who's struggling with an eating disorder, I would say behind the eating disorder is you don't believe God loves you. You don't really believe the gospel. You're, you're looking to this idol to bring you comfort or joy or satisfaction. Because you don't really believe that God's love will satisfy you. The answer isn't, just get your act together. The answer isn't even motivating by fear. You know, if you do this, your life is going to be ruined because you know what? Addicts, you, addictions aren't reasonable. You can tell an addict, you know, if you do this, you're going to destroy your life and they're going to go on their addiction because that relationship with that idol does not listen to reason. The answer is more gospel. It's more gospel. Now, I know you know that and I think you're with me on that, but let me get practical. Let me get specific. How... Do you pound the gospel into your heart so that your heart is freed from addiction? It has to be more than just, well, I know I'm a sinner and I need the gospel, so then what? The idol's still not going away. How specifically do you do this? Let me give you three steps, three ways to pound the gospel into your heart in order to free yourself from enslavement to idols. First of all, you need to identify your sin Secondly, you need to identify your point of unbelief. And thirdly, you need to repent at the level of faith. Identify the sin, identify your point of unbelief, and repent at the level of faith. Let me walk you through this. I trust that this will be helpful. I trust that this will be something you can use on a daily basis in your life. First of all, to pound the gospel into your heart and to experience freedom from idols, you need to identify the sin. 
you need to identify the sin. And what I mean by this is you not only need to identify the idol that is holding your heart captive, but you need to be very specific about identifying what is it that you are seeking to get from this idol. What is it that this idol is promising you? What is the enticement? What has the idol said to you? I will give you this. And you need to be very specific about identifying what that blank is. What are you seeking? What did the idol promise you when you entered into a relationship with it? Let's just look at an example because I just want to be practical here. I just want to be down to earth here. Let's say the addiction is food. And you feel enslaved to certain foods or you may feel uh, enslaved to certain quantities of food or you may be enslaved to um, eating at certain times. You just feel like you can't stop, you can't change this area of your life even though you know you should. And you've made the resolutions every year to eat better or to eat different and you just can't seem to do it. What do you need to do in this relationship? What you need to do is get really specific. You can't just say, oh, trust the gospel and it'll go away. You need to get very specific. What is this idol promising me? What am I seeking to get from food? And for many people, it's comfort. Is when life gets stressful and when life gets difficult, they need comfort. They need relaxation. They need rest. And so what do they do? Who do they run to to bring comfort to their hearts? Is they run to food. You see, it's not just neutral. You're not just eating. It's you're trying to get something from this idol and that's why you're enslaved. For some, it may be pleasure. It may be they're worshipping the idol of pleasure and that's why they can't change these eating habits. And for some, many have testified to this, eating is a way of easing loneliness. What they're seeking to get is companionship from this idol. But you get the idea here. You need to get this specific. You need to, the root issue is that you're looking for something. You're being enticed by something. It's promising you something. And you need to get, identify what that thing is. We could go through more examples. I mean, we could talk about um, in the addiction to pornography, for example. What is the idol promising you? It's promising you pleasure. Or it's promising you joy. Or it's promising that this will help you forget about your problems. But it's promising you something. And you're going to it to get something. What is that thing? Here's the essence of the sin of idolatry. Please mark this down. This is very important. Idolatry is looking to something other than God to provide for you only what God can give. 
is you're looking to something other than God to provide for you only what God can give. If you're addicted to your work or to your career, you're looking at your career to give you something, to give you identity or to give you fulfillment or to give you a sense of belonging or to give you acceptance, but you want something. If you're addicted to a bad relationship, you're looking for that relationship to give you love or comfort or a sense of peace. But you're looking to that idol to give you something only God can give. And if you look at the history of Israel, this was the essence of their idolatry. God said to them, I am your provider. I am your deliverer. I am your savior. I am your guide. I am the one who will take care of you. I am the one who will satisfy your hearts. And what you see in their history is they kept turning to other things. They kept turning to relationships with other nations. They kept turning to relationships with other people and saying, you will provide. You will keep me safe. You will satisfy my heart. You will keep me secure. They were looking to idols to give them something only God could give. Jeremiah 2.12 says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken sisters, cisterns that can hold no waters. And that's idolatry. Brothers and sisters, get this. Idolatry is not... It's a failure to believe that God is as gracious as he really is. It's a failure to believe that God really will comfort your heart, that God really will provide for you, that God really will bring you satisfaction and joy. And so you begin a relationship with an idol. The first step to pounding the gospel into your heart is to identify the sin. The second step is you need to identify the point of unbelief. Identify the point of unbelief. So you're looking at this idol, and you're looking at this one thing that this idol has promised you. It's promised you comfort, pleasure, security, joy. The main issue is this. Because of the gospel... God is not only willing to give you that thing that you're looking for. He is eager to abundantly bless you with that same thing that you're trying to get from the idol. Because of the work of Christ on the cross, because God's wrath has been satisfied, because there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, because God is our loving Heavenly Father and we are His beloved children, because all of the judgment that we deserved has been spent on Jesus Christ at the cross and He has risen victoriously from the grave, because of the gospel, God is not only willing and able, He is eager to abundantly bless us with that exact same thing that we are looking to the idol to give us. So we're looking to the idol of food to give us comfort. What does God say? God says, I'm your father, you're my child, your sins are forgiven, I will comfort you. 
I will bring you joy. 2 Corinthians 1.3 calls him the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we go to the addiction of television to relieve our stress, to bring rest to our weary hearts. And God says, you are my beloved child. When I see you, I see you clothed with the righteousness of Christ. If you come to me, I will bless you with a rest that you don't you can never experience from this world. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Philippians 4 7 says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you're entering into this ungodly relationship because you're, you're lonely. You want company. You want someone to relieve your loneliness. You want love, attention, acceptance, and joy. And God says that because of the gospel, I love you. I accept you. I delight over you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you and I will comfort you. And only my love can satisfy the relational void in your heart. We could go on and on. We could go down the list of all the things that we are seeking to get from our addictions and find that whether it's security or significance or identity or completeness or joy or rest or peace or comfort or companionship or relief from loneliness, satisfaction, understanding, love, acceptance. God says to us in the gospel, I am your father, you are my child, your sins have been washed away through the blood of my son. I will bless you with these things if you come in faith and trust in the work of what my son has done for you. He's not only able, He's eager. And the problem is that you and I in our hearts, we don't really believe that. We still believe that God is stingy. We still believe that God is withholding from us. We we even believe that God is mad at us or He's disappointed in us. We don't really believe the gospel. We don't really believe that God is as gracious as he is. And so we look to these inferior things to bless us in ways that only God can bless us. The reason why people, Christians, struggle with OCD, struggle with obsession with order, because They don't believe that God is controlling their life in a way that demonstrates his love. And so they feel like they need to control their lives. The reason why men get addicted to recreation 
or to spectator sports or to media is because they're looking to these idols to give them pleasure and they don't believe that God promises them eternal pleasure. So they believe that this immoral relationship or this viewing of pornography or this drug will really give me a pleasure that will really satisfy. That's what they really believe in their hearts. The first thing you need to do is identify the sin. What is my idol? What am I seeking to get from my idol? Secondly, you need to identify the point of unbelief. What is God's specific promise to me in the gospel that corresponds to the thing that I'm looking for in this idol? And thirdly, you need to repent at the level of faith. You need to repent at the level of faith. I think that in the past, if a brother was uh, struggling with pornography, if a sister was struggling with an eating disorder, I would tell them to repent at the level of behavior. If a fellow Christian was struggling with addiction to drugs or gambling or alcohol, I would tell them to repent at the level of behavior. You're doing this sin, turn from your sin and start doing the opposite of your sin. If you're lying, stop lying and speak truth. If you're stealing, stop stealing and start working. If you're getting angry, stop being angry and start being kind. Repent at the level of behavior. And I still believe that we need to repent at the level of behavior. I believe that's in Scripture. And I believe there's a sense where we just, by God's grace, we need to turn from our sin and pursue righteousness. But when it comes to addictions, you can't stop there. You can't just tell the addict, stop doing this and start doing this. Repentance for the addict needs to go way deeper. It's an issue of faith. It's a worship disorder. It's an issue of what are they really believing in and trusting in. And so repentance needs to occur at the level of faith. It is not just turning from sin to righteousness. Repentance is turning from unbelief to faith. It is turning from your belief that this idol will give me what it has promised to give me to faith that Jesus Christ in His grace and in His mercy will abundantly bless me with the same thing I'm looking for in the idol but in a far greater way. It is... Repentance from believing that God is not gracious, that God is not kind, that God is not going to bless me, to believing that because of what Jesus has done, holy wrath has been satisfied, and God is my Father. And what Father says to his child when his child comes to him and says, can you give me a piece of bread? We'll give him a snake. Jesus says, which one of you fathers would go on break and when your child says to you, can I have a donut? You would say, sure. Here's a snake. Eat that. 
And when he's addressing, he's saying, you don't really believe that God is as gracious as he says he is. That's why you don't come to him. But you run to your addictions. If the addict is really to change, repentance must occur at the level of faith. Romans 14.23 says, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul says, Behind every faith, behind every behavioral issue is a faith issue. It's something that you're trusting in, something that you're believing in, and the turning, the metanoia, the repentance that needs to occur in the heart is at the level of what are you really believing? What are you really trusting in? And what are you really relying upon? Can I just be real honest with you? Some of you are you're struggling with your idols and you're addicted to certain things in your life because you still believe that God is mad at you. You still believe that he's mad at you. And who's going to run to a God who's mad at them? You feel like you need to give penance and you're not trusting the gospel. Freedom from addiction comes from repentance, not just at the level of behavior, but at the level of our unbelief. And so where does this leave us? Where does this leave us as a church? What do we need to go as a church if we are to deal with these very real addictions? And let me just make a note about this. is All addictions, whether they have a social stigma or they don't have a social stigma, all addictions are equally destructive in a spiritual sense because all addictions keep us from enjoying fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All addictions are functionally replacing the Lordship of Jesus Christ with another master. And even if that master is something as innocuous as email, you just can't stop checking email, or as innocuous as Twitter, or as innocuous as blogs, or I am, even if the addiction is something that innocuous, it still is replacing functionally the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives and keeping us from enjoying fellowship with him. And so where does this leave us as a church? I want to encourage you that what we need to do as a church is we need the church to overcome our addictions. We need the local body of Christ. Some of you have addictions in your heart, but you don't even know what they are because it's, you can't even identify it. We can identify the addictions of others, but it's hard to see for ourselves. And so you even need in your care group for someone to say, look, brother, this is an idol. And if you keep pursuing this relationship, it's going to turn on you. We need the body of Christ. What do we need to do if we are to pound the gospel 
from this intellectual, doctrinal understanding in our heads to a functional belief in our hearts is we need the church to keep pounding, to keep pounding, to keep pounding, to keep pounding the gospel until the gospel moves from the head into the heart. And that is why we do everything that we do as a church. That is why we sing. That is why we pray. That is why we have care groups. That is why we teach the word. That is why we fellowship. That is why we do missions. That is why we do ministry. That is why we pursue relationships. Why do we do all these things? Because in these things, every step of the way, we want to pound the gospel into your life so that what you believe doctrinally comes into your heart and becomes your functional trust. And you repent of your unbelief and you turn to faith in the gospel. And that glorious news releases your heart from these inferior relationship to idols and brings you into joy and fellowship with your Savior Jesus. Let's bow in prayer together. Let me ask you just to take a moment in a couple minutes. We're all going to become very busy. And once we leave church, life is going to become very hectic with many responsibilities on our plate. This is a moment for you to meet with the Lord. He loves you. The reason why he's brought this message to you this morning is because he loves you. He's pursuing you. What are the idols in your life? And what have they promised you? What are they enticing you with? Take a moment to repent at the level of faith and trust that whatever that thing is, that you're looking for, that God will abundant you, bless you with the same thing because he loves you and because of the cross. Father, we confess that we don't believe that you are as gracious as you really are. We don't believe in our hearts that you love us in the way that you really do. And we don't believe that you are as generous to your children as you are. And so we run to our idols.
instead of to you. To give us only what you can give. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the cross. That if you did not spare your own son for us, how will you not also give us all things? That you long to give generously to your children if only we will turn to you in faith with empty hands and receive. Free us from our addictions and our idols that we may know the joy of fellowship with Christ and receiving your grace. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and close our service. Brothers and sisters,